Welcome to the podcast for Gateway Baptist Church. You're listening to a message from our city campus. Find us at gatewaybaptist.com.au if you'd like to connect with us as we seek to change lives by following Jesus in our community, our nation, and our world. Good to have you here tonight. Uh, we are, as Hannah said, we are continuing our series uh, on uh, Joseph, which we find at the end of the book of Genesis, uh, which is the first full book of the Bible, as we uh, looked at a couple of weeks ago. Uh, Genesis uh, contains in it the, the creation narrative, the story of creation uh, in the first three chapters, and then chapters four to uh, 11, we see all these chaotic stories, including the flood narrative and Babel. And then uh, chapter 12, there's a switch. God comes and he calls out a man named Abram, who is renamed Abraham and Sarah. And uh, they are the beginning of uh, the, the nation of Israel. And then for the following chapters, uh, we, we, um, they're commonly known, the stories of the patriarchs, which is Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and then Jacob has 12 sons, the 11th of which is Joseph. And uh, we are exploring the, uh, the life and the times of Joseph. And uh, we kicked it off a couple of weeks ago. Who was here a few weeks ago? We missed last week because we were over at Mackenzie. Great. So a whole bunch of you are with us. And as we saw, and I was going to get this uh, graph up because our digital team did such a great job, design team, at, at designing this up. We looked at how with Joseph in, in week one, he had some dreams, which... Uh, which he decided to tell his brothers, which didn't go down too well because he'd received this Technicolor dream coat uh, from, his, uh, from his dad, Jacob. There's a whole story there. Jacob uh, was not the favourite son for his dad, Isaac. Isaac uh, preferred, loved Esau. Uh, and I think Jacob had a bit of a sore spot. And so he chose the eldest of his favourite wife, Rachel. Uh, Jacob to, to, to kind of, uh, jo- Joseph, I should say, Jacob chose Joseph to pour out his love and affection. That had devastating consequences on the family. One, the, boy, the kids, the boys in particular, his older brothers got jealous. And then Joseph had a couple of dreams. And he had, a, he had these dreams that his brothers and his parents would bow down and worship him. And he had the sense or the lack of sense, the lack of emotional intelligence to actually go and tell them, I had this dream, you're going to bow down to me. That didn't go down so well. But they were the dreams. And sometimes we have dreams and we think it's just a straight line. But it's not like that. Life doesn't go like that. And uh, Joseph's life is not, this isn't necessarily Joseph's life, I've mapped out here, but it's a little bit like it. And as he journeys, he finds himself in a pit, in a well, and being sold into slavery to Egypt. That's where we left it a few weeks ago. God speaks. Then you can imagine as Joseph is finding himself in the pit, in the wells, he finds himself being sold down to Egypt. There is a sense of God, where are you? This whole idea of the hiddenness of God in the midst of pain. And we're going to continue looking at the story of this testing of faith. There is something about the testing of faith that Joseph has to walk through. In order that his character lines up with the dream that God had placed in his heart. 
You know, testing, trial, temptation, whatever it, whatever it might be, challenge, it's not easy, is it? Going through testing experiences are uncomfortable. A whole bunch of you who are studying at university, I was just talking to Hope before, she had a last test yesterday and she's very relieved about that. But who enjoys an exam? No, yeah, yeah, okay, you've got issues and, uh, and you, need, you need prayer later on down the front, first person down here, okay? We've been praying for you. Um, you know, te- oh, we, tests aren't for, I, well, I hate exams, I hate tests. Yesterday, uh, we went to, uh, to a recital for our second eldest, Eva. Uh, she's been learning the piano of the last few months, and so she went and she did a recital. She played the piano. I can't remember what it was, you know, something very simple, but uh, it was lovely. And, uh, and there were a whole bunch of other kids there, and they played the flute and, and played the piano, and some, you know, were so scared that they actually didn't make it up onto stage to do it. And I had a little bit of a PTSD moment because I remember when I was being taught the piano when I was Eva's age and I hated it. I hated tests. Tests are uncomfortable, aren't they? I remember sitting my grade one piano exam and having to restart the same song three times. I have no idea how I passed that exam. I think the examiner just looked down on me, this little kid, said, oh, bless. He's got no hope, but I'll pass him anyway. I hate exams. We don't, we don't enjoy exams. They're, they're uncomfortable. Testing is uncomfortable, but it's important. We need to go through tests. Tests reveal where we're at. Tests reveal our competency. Tests reveal what we're good at and what we're at. I, I'm, I'm glad that doctors and dentists have to do tests because they haven't do tests. I don't want them operating on my body or my mouth. You know, tests, tests provide a reality check. And Joseph needed some reality checks in his life if, as I said before, he was going to become the person that God had called him to be. He was going to become the person that was in the dreams that he had. And so we're going to look at testing, trial, temptation, and challenge tonight. And it might be a little bit uncomfortable for us too as we jump into some of these deep truths tonight. So if you've got your Bibles with you, if you've got your digital device, why don't you turn to Genesis chapter 39. We're going to continue the story. Joseph is down in Egypt. And we're going to kind of read through the narrative bit by bit and kind of pick up some things as we journey along. So... Let's read from Genesis 39 verses, from verses 1. Now Joseph had been taken down to Egypt. Potiphar, an Egyptian who was one of the Pharaoh's officials, the captain of the guard, brought him from the Ishmaelites who had taken him there. The Lord was with Joseph so that he prospered and he lived in the house of his Egyptian master. When his master saw that the Lord was with him and that the Lord gave him success in everything he did, Joseph found favour in his eyes and became his attendant. Potiphar put him in charge of his household and he entrusted to his care everything he owned. From the time he put him in charge of his household and and of all that he owned, the Lord blessed the household of the Egyptian because of Joseph. The blessing of the Lord was on everything Potiphar had, both in the house 
and in the field. So Potiphar left everything he had in Joseph's care. With Joseph in charge, he did not concern himself with anything except the food he ate. Now Joseph was well built and handsome. And after a while, his master's wife took notice of Joseph and said, come to bed with me, exclamation mark. We see that character, it doesn't matter who you are, it doesn't matter what circumstances you are walking through, character is always tested. Character will be tested. And there are decisions, there are moments in our life that bring that to bear. The reality is is that the decisions that we make are part of revealing or speaking to our character. And we see here in these opening verses that character is being revealed through decisions that are being made. Let me just give you the context. We're in Potiphar's house. Who is Potiphar? Well, Potiphar is the captain of the guard. He is the head of military. This is not some small role. He would have been one of the top-ranking officials in what would have been the greatest empire of the day, Egypt. This is a significant estate. And Potiphar chooses in this place of power. It's a place of influence. It's a place of authority Potiphar chooses to place Joseph as his chief operating officer. There is a blessing you can see, and this has come through in these, these opening verses, that the Lord is with Joseph, and the Lord blesses everything that Joseph puts his hands to. There is a blessing on Joseph's life in this position and this place of power. And then we get to verse 7, and there, is a, there are some character-defining moments. There are two characters that really are part of this story. You have Joseph, and you have Potiphar's wife. And we read that in this place of prosperity and power, Potiphar... All of a sudden, as Joseph finds himself within the house, Potiphar's wife notices that here is this handsome, good-looking guy. And in that moment, she has some decisions to make. She makes some some decisions which speak to her character. Her character is tested. And she makes a move. She gives in to the desires of her heart. Here is a married woman. And she, in her place of authority and power, comes and says to Joseph, come to bed with me, exclamation mark. Now, the reason I say exclamation mark is because actually the English doesn't really help us understand this. Remember, she is the wife of the head of the home. She's the one in in power here. Really, it should be interpreted as a command. Bed, sex, now. That's actually what it is. It's a command. Sex, now. She has revealed, in that moment of decision, she's revealed her character. 
Then you have Joseph. Joseph, who's this young man who is brought. Now, it's, it's, it, again, it's this decision that he's got to make. He's been placed in a position of influence. He's been placed in a position of authority. And he has a decision to make as well. We all have decisions to make that say, speak to our character every day. There are challenges that will come along where we will either have, have to listen, we listen or respond to the impulses of our heart and our desires. We have decisions to make. It might be with your work. They may be ethical decisions with your career or your study or your finances or your relationships or what you do with your digital technology, what you consume with your money or with your eyes. We all have decisions to make and they speak to our character and often our character is challenged by these decisions. It's really interesting when we look at the life of Jesus. In Luke chapter four, we see that Jesus, right at the beginning of his ministry, he, he is baptized by John the Baptist and there's that amazing Trinitarian moment where a dove, the Holy Spirit comes like a dove and rests on Jesus there in the Jordan. And then this voice comes from heaven and says, this is my son whom I love, with whom I'm well pleased. It's the commissioning of Jesus' ministry. And the very next moment, Jesus goes out into the wilderness where he fasts for 40 days. And at the end of those 40 days, he's confronted with some decisions. The devil comes to test him, tempt him, put him on trial. And there are three uh, tests that the devil uh, comes to Jesus with and they appeal to different areas of decision making. The first one is around desire. Hey, do you want to eat this bread? It appeals to the desire of the flesh. The second one is about money and power. He shows him the kingdoms. I'll give you the kingdom if you bow down and worship me. And then the third one is, is about power. Throw yourself off the building. Surely the angels will raise you up. You are the son of God. Desire, money, power. And Jesus responds in each of those times, in each of those moments, he responds with the truth. He responds with the truth from Deuteronomy. It's very interesting. He uses passages from that book in his response. The truth was in Jesus and each of those moments of decision where his character is challenged, the truth of Jesus comes out. His character is revealed. Testing reveals character. And this is what happens with Joseph as well. The truth comes out in this moment of testing. Testing reveals character. Before I read this next part and the way that, um, way that Joseph responds, I just want to touch base on character for a moment because we speak of character. And when we talk about character, there is a testing that, that reveals uh, character. But there's, there's another word that sometimes we use, and that's the word integrity. 
right? We, when we think of somebody who has good character, they have integrity. And integrity literally means the inside and the outside of one person's life are integrated. Integrity comes from the word integrated. That's why truth, the truth when Jesus is challenged is important. And it's important for us as well. Because if you were to see integrity in someone's life, that inner world being expressed and aligning, the inner values aligning with the outward actions, the integrated life, that integrity is often revealed and exposed in times of testing. When people are put under pressure, when there are difficult decisions to make, that is when integrity is revealed. It's a little bit like materials, metals, machinery. You test machinery or metals for their integrity, for, for their capacity to withstand pressure and testing. You test rope or you test metal to find whether it has integrity. You test an engine or machinery to see if it's got integrity. In fact, I'm at the moment doing some testing of my own. I'm testing my 2005 Corolla of power. I think we've got a photo here. I mean, you look at it. I mean, that is one quality car right there. I mean, it's almost 20 years old. It's done 250,000 kilometres. They say that you can't kill a Corolla. Well, I'm trying. The lights don't work. The air conditioner doesn't work. I've smashed both the wing mirrors and I've got rats living in the engine. I took it to the mechanic. I know, it's weird, right? So we got, we got tree rats and they just, it's all nice and white. So I, I took it to the mechanic this week and he gave me a quote for all the work that I need to get fixed and I do. And he also said, you, you probably should do something about those rats as well. I said, I agree. I reckon I need to get rid of those. But I'm, I'm testing. They say Toyotas, you can't kill them. And so I'm just testing to see because in five years' time, Olivia's got to learn how to drive this car. It's got to last that long. Don't worry, I'll, I'll get things fixed up before she gets in it. Integrity is revealed in its testing. The truth is revealed in testing. Character is revealed in its testing. Let's see how Joseph responds. Let's keep reading the story. Verse 8. But Joseph refused. With me in charge, he told him, my master does not concern me, concern himself with anything in the house. Everything he owns, he has entrusted to my care. No one is greater in this house than I am. My master has withheld nothing from me except you, because you are his wife. How then could I do such a wicked thing and sin against God? And though she spoke to Joseph day after day, he refused to go to bed with her or even be with her. One day he went inside into the house to attend to his duties and none of the household servants was inside. She caught him by his cloak and said, come to bed with me. But he left his cloak in her hand and ran out of the house. There's something about Joseph's cloaks, isn't there? Just keeps getting him in trouble. Hyperlink, remember we spoke about it. Just all these little hyperlinks that we see in the Bible. We see here in this moment that Joseph's character is revealed. The truth that is in his heart is being revealed. The values that he holds to is being revealed in action. 
and he rejects the overtures. Really, it's more than overtures. It is the demands and the commands of Potiphar's wife. No, I will not sleep with you. There's a whole bunch of temptation wrapped up in that. You can imagine it, and it's being set up this way. The story is set up. There is temptation at its heart. And Joseph, this young man, being compelled by a woman, says, no. The truth begins to rise up, and he gives the reason why. I cannot sleep with you. Why? Because I am not your wife, your husband. You are not my wife. You see, in Joseph's ethics, in his values, he understands as, as it be, as has been passed on, and we see this in the creation narrative, that for Joseph, the context of sex is within marriage. And he is not married to her. And so his values come out and his values, as he begins to speak even more, he says, I, can't, I cannot have sex with you because one, you are not my wife. And two, if I do, I am sinning against, not Potiphar, although he would have been, I'm actually sinning against God. Why? Because God has created us as integrated beings. God has created us, body, mind, soul, spirit. We are sexual, but we're also emotional. We're also psychological. We're also physical. We're inter interconnected in so many deep ways. And God has beautifully created us to enjoy sex in the context of everything. Of everything. And when we disregard everything and compartmentalize sex as Freud did, then we're in danger of just seeing sex as just another thing to the side. We are actually pushing against the way in which we were created. And Joseph understands this. He recognizes that to step into sexual union outside the context of ma marriage is actually to step outside of the purposes of God. In, in, uh, in Corinthians, 1 Corinthians, the Apostle Paul understands it in a very similar way. In fact, you see some of the hyperlinking going back to Joseph in this passage. He writes in 1 Corinthians. Again, a context, Roman culture, highly sexualized, similar in many ways to the context today, very different as well. The highly sexualized Roman culture. And Paul writes this to the church. Do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ himself? Your body is, a, is membered and connected with Christ. Shall I then take the members of Christ and unite them with a prostitute? Never. Do you not know that he who unites himself with a prostitute is one with her in body? For it is said the two will become one flesh. But whoever is united with the Lord is one for him in spirit. For it is said the two will become one flesh. See, you're taking two in the context of marriage and you get this picture of sex, but it's not just sex. In the context of marriage, sexual union takes place, but it's not just that. In the context of marriage, it's everything. 
It's the real joy of marriage is saying, I'm not just giving part of my life to you. In the context of this act, in this moment, I'm giving you everything. Everything I have is yours. My finances, my emotions, my every being, it's in that context. And sex is a, is a wonderful, powerful, deep, rich part of that. Two, becoming one flesh. Therefore, verse 18, flee from sexual immorality. All other sins a person commits are outside the body, but whoever sins sexually sins against their own body. They're giving something away. Now, I realise that I'm speaking into a context, a culture, a city where this is retrograde and oppressive. This kind of idea is just out of whack with the expectations of society. And, and maybe you're in that boat as well. Maybe you think that as well. And I'm not here to make you feel shame or guilt, but I am wanting to compel you to a greater view. See, following God and living in this way doesn't diminish the view of sex. I'm not saying sex is bad. I'm actually saying sex, like Joseph is saying, is actually far better. Sex is not just a desire like any other desire, but actually it's something that is holy, that is set apart, that is awesome, that is great, and that is integrated in every other part of your life. You cannot disintegrate your body. You cannot disintegrate your life. As Marva Dawn says in her excellent book, Sexual Character, she says this, and she's writing about intercourse and technique that we have moved to as a culture, that, that we see and speak of sex now purely in terms of intercourse. She says this, because deep inside we know that our lives are less intimate, we try to create that intimacy, but we don't know how to do it in any other way than through technique. For example, sexual union, which is, the, is most satisfying as the culminating expression of growing intimacy in many human dimensions, has been ripped out of that context and placed as the initiating act for relationships. Since it then has no corresponding intimacies, improvements must deal with the very act itself. And consequently, we have to write manuals on techniques to make sex more exciting. This is the wrong remedy for our emotional aches. The true source of the pain has not been diagnosed. It's interesting as, as I read, and I've read a couple of articles recently just about the sex lives of emerging generations, millennials down. And the research is showing that millennials are having less sex that actually we're in a what the, uh, a, a Sydney Morning Herald article um, just a few years ago called a sex recession. See, when we try and push sex aside and compartmentalise, we actually lose the beauty of it. And the scourge of pornography is doing even more than that. It's removing the, the, what, what sex was designed for, that God created it for, and it isolates and compartmentalizes, and we lose the beauty of sexual union. 
You see, Joseph's deep, Joseph is not oppressing or repressing his desire. By walking away, he's not, he's not, as many would say, and Freud might say, he's just repressing his desire. No, 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 he's got a greater desire. He understands and knows the desires of God for his life. And he allows those truths and those deeper desires to become his strongest desires. That's the only way that we can walk through testing and temptation. It's by getting hold of those deeper desires in our life and living them out. There's a better life. There's a better life for us and Joseph's deepest desire is to pursue the purposes and the plans of God because that is where joy and life is ultimately found. There's two other things that I just want you to note in this part here. Actually one and then I'll move to the next. The first, the, we need to see here, and this isn't often picked up in this passage, is that actually there is a power differential that's going on. Potiphar's wife is in a, a power, she has a power differential over Joseph, which is quite unusual. You know, normally and certainly in our culture in this time, when we talk about things like abuse, it's the other way around, particularly male and female. And actually, if you want to read uh, Genesis 38, we actually see, it's actually the tale of two brothers. You see this horrific story of Judah, where Judah is the oppressor, a sexual oppressor. And Tamar is the one who has to fight for her rights. It's an amazing story. It's a story of God's heart. It's a very confusing story, but I encourage you to read it. It's a beautiful story of God's grace and mercy to Tamar. And the reason the story is in, the, is, is in there is because Tamar is the mother of Jesus, ultimately down the line. She's included in the genealogy in the book of Matthew. But we see these two parallels going on. I don't have time to go into it now, but what we do see here is a power differential. We see Potiphar's wife harassing, cajoling, abusing Joseph. And Joseph flees and runs away. I think we need to acknowledge that. And we need to actually see that that is in, that is part of the text here. There is abuse, domestic, sexual abuse going on. And I think it's important to, to speak about it because that is an all too common experience for many in our society today. Statistically, it is true. And tragically and statistically, it's in the church too. And we need to be honest, honest and open and say that many, particularly women and children, that many have suffered as a result of abuse. And to our shame, we've seen the Royal Commission in the past few years into child abuse. It's revealed that in the church, it has, the church has, has played its horrific role in this. And so I want to say, just as, a, as, as, a, as an important side note, that this is something that we take seriously. As a church, we take it seriously. We take child safety seriously, and we, we have processes and protocols in place in order for our children to be cared for. 
And we are, as a church, implementing the recommendations that came from the Royal Commission. We are absolutely dedicated to creating a place not only of safety, but of healing and wholeness in this place and in our church. We have a wonderful counselling centre that you can access uh, that's connected to Gateway. If you would love, if that's been your story, you know somebody who that is their story. But I I, I do, I want to say this. I want to say that we will be, and we aim to be because it's the heart of God to be a place of safety. Please speak up. Please find those people that you can talk to. Come and speak to me or come and speak to Hannah or somebody else if you need to. Speak to your life group leader. Reach out to our counselling centre. But please, this is a safe place to do that journey. I raise it because we see it here in Scripture in all its sadness and pain. Not only is Joseph abused, he is, as is often the case in these situations, he is then accused. He is abused and then he is accused. Let's keep reading the story. When she saw that he had left his cloak in her hand and run out of the house, she called her household servants. Look, she said to them, this Hebrew has been brought to us to make sport of us. He came in here to sleep with me, but I screamed. When he heard me scream for help, he left his cloak beside me and ran out of the house. She kept his cloak beside her until his master came home. Then she told him this story. That Hebrew slave you brought us came to me and made sport of me. But as soon as I screamed for help, he left his cloak beside me and ran out of the house. When his master heard the story, of his, the story his wife told him, saying, this is how your slave treated me, he burned with anger. Joseph's master took him and put him in prison, the place where the king's prisoners were confined. Here we have Joseph. Firstly, he's done the right thing. He's actually not stepped in. He, he's the one who's at the end of abuse. And now he's being accused for doing wrong. And when I read this, I feel like a sense of injustice rise up. It's kind of like, how could this be? But this is the narrative of so many people in our world today. And our heart should rise up and go, this is unjust. Here is Joseph. He is accused. His character has been defamed. But what's really interesting is we see uh, his character being tested in, in horrific ways. It's interesting that Potiphar chooses not to kill him or execute him, but put him in prison. And I just wonder, I just wonder whether as Potiphar is looking at the scenario and the scene and knowing perhaps the character of his wife smells something is up. And I know it says that he burns with anger, but in those circumstances, you could imagine that normally it would be off with his head. But he puts him in prison. Perhaps it is Joseph's character that saves him. I only speculate. Testing reveals character. 
testing is difficult. It reveals the truth and the values in our heart. But testing then also refines our character. It reveals who we are, but also refines us. It refines who we are. And Joseph is a different person. I love these last verses. Let me finish the story. In Genesis 39, verses 20, we read this. But while Joseph was there in prison, the Lord was with him. He showed him kindness and granted him favour in the eyes of the prison warden. So the warden put Joseph in charge of all those held in prison, and he was made responsible for all that was done there. The warden paid no attention to anything under Joseph's care because the Lord was with Joseph and gave him success in whatever he did. Can you imagine, can you imagine Joseph's life right now? I mean, he's been betrayed by his brothers. He's been thrown into a pit, threatened to be killed, but then sold into slavery. He goes and he finds himself in slavery, works his way up, does all the right things. And then he is falsely accused and thrown back into prison. In fact, he's in a worse place than where he was previously. This is another testing. But Joseph is a different person now. Tim Keller talks about this testing as perhaps being the greatest test. And it's the test of despair. The test of despair. Come on, put put yourselves in Joseph's sandals for a moment. If he was given prison sandals, I'm not quite sure. Can you imagine? I've done all the right things, God. I've honoured my boss. I didn't do the wrong thing. I've seen prosperity. I've worked hard. I've done all the right things. Yeah, I know that I was a jerk when I was a kid and I annoyed my brothers. Maybe I deserved a little bit of that being thrown down the well. Maybe. But I've learned my lesson and, I, and I've changed. And I worked really hard in Potiphar's house and I did all the right things, God, and I ticked all the right boxes and I was honourable and I showed character. Yet here I am in prison, falsely accused with no end date in sight. That's a test. It'd be so tempting in that moment to go, I'm done with you, God. Forget those dreams. You promised me, God. You promised that I would rise up and here I am. This is not fair. And I reckon many of us, many in our world, are tempted with the idea, the thought of despair, of giving up on God, throwing God out because of their experiences. And I get it. I understand it. But that's why we're given the story of Joseph. We're given the story of Joseph as a picture and a sign that, do you remember the story? The graph was up and down and up and down in the bottom part of the story. Even when Joseph is his very lowest, his most broken, God was ultimately still faithful. I don't know where your story has been or where it is right now, but we do have the story of Joseph. And you know what? 
we also have the story of another Joseph. It was a Joseph that was abused. He was accused. And he found himself in front of not Potiphar, but Pilate. And I suspect Pilate, when he looked at Jesus, thought, this man isn't guilty. But because of the baying crowds and those who were accusing him, crucify him, crucify him, Pilate gave in and said, I'm washing my hands of this man. And the king of the universe who came down and walked this earth suffered immense trauma. And as he hung on the cross for our brokenness, our pain, our sin, he cried out from the Psalm, Psalm 22, and he says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? The God of the universe, and I know this is hard to understand, stepped down the Son of God and cries out, I am abandoned. I am alone. I am despairing. Where are you, God? We have that story. And we hold on to, even in the midst of our pain and our brokenness and our valley and our testing and our trial and our temptation, we can look to the God who has done it for us, who has died for us, who suffered for us, but who has defeated sin and death in order that even in the midst of our pain, we can hold on to Him. We can lift our eyes and hold on to His truth and know that He is with us. He is with us. He walks with us even when we don't feel it, even when we don't know He is walking along. Why? Because He's shown us He has. He was tempted in the wilderness. He has been tempted in every way, just as we are tempted, the writer of the Hebrews says. And He is with us. There's one more beautiful thing that I want to pull out in these last few verses, and it's this. And only the writer can write this because the writer knows the story. In verses 21, the writer says, The Lord was with Joseph. In prison, the Lord was with Joseph. In verse 23, the warden paid no attention to anything under Joseph's care. Faithful as he served, Joseph, who could have packed it in and, and given in despair, remained faithful in character, in trusting God. The truth was deep in his heart, knowing that God was greater, that God would provide. And we read, because the Lord was with Joseph. There's no dreams here. In this whole chapter, we don't hear a voice coming down from heaven saying, Joseph, I know this is really hard for you right now, but I am with you. No, 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 there's none of that. There's no dreams in this chapter. There'll be dreams ahead. But in this chapter, all the writer can say is, the Lord was with Joseph. And I want you to know tonight that whether you're in the high or the low, the good times and the bad, the Lord is with you. He's shown it. He's proven it. We have the story. We have Jesus. I want to uh, read a psalm. I love the psalms because 
They speak of life and they give us permission. Maybe you're here tonight and you think, oh, there are certain things I can't say to God. Jesus said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? I reckon that's, that's pretty honest. We have permission to sometimes lift up, or we do, we have permission to lift our eyes and say, God, what are you doing? Where are you? God, why did you let this happen? God, this is unjust. But in it all, as we give voice to our human emotions, as the Psalms allow us to, we lift our eyes. I'd love to uh, read a Psalm, Psalm 13, and I'm gonna invite you just to close your eyes. I don't know what you're walking through right now. I don't know what life is like for you right now. For some of you, Life is wonderful. You finished exams. Holidays are on the way. It's all good. The Lord is with you. Keep trusting Him. Perhaps you're walking through a time of despair and pain and questioning and wondering. I want you to know the Lord is with you. I'm going to read a psalm and I just want you to maybe if you want to just make these words for yourself and then we're going to we're going to worship we're going to sing together and pay, perhaps for those of you who are walking through a time of challenge right now perhaps you're walking through a time where it seems like God is silent perhaps you're walking through a moment of despair in your own life a season and time of trial and challenge I'm going to invite you just to come and worship down the front almost in response to this psalm, Psalm 13, say, God, I'm choosing to lift my eyes and trust you even though things are hard. We'll pray for you, get around you and encourage you in your story, in your journey. Before we do that, why don't you just close your eyes and let me read this psalm, a psalm of King David over you. How long, Lord? Will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I wrestle with my thoughts? And day after day have sorrow in my heart. How long will my enemy triumph over me? Look on me and answer, Lord my God. Give light to my eyes or I will sleep in death. And my enemy will say, I have overcome him and my foes will rejoice when I fall. But I trust in your unfailing love. My heart rejoices in your salvation. I will sing the Lord's praise for he has been good to me. But I trust in your unfailing love. My heart rejoices in your salvation. I will sing the Lord's praise, for He has been good to me. I wonder if we can stand tonight. We're going to sing a song that... You may know, you may not know, allow the words to just wash over you. An old song from, or rather the old song from Matt Rimmon. Make it the anthem of your heart tonight. And as I said, I'd love to pray for you and bless you and others to gather around you. If you're walking through a, a season of silence where you're saying, God, where are you? How 
how I need you, God, or you're walking through a time or a moment that's really hard, walking through despair, challenge, just come forward. Almost as a statement saying, I am going to lift my eyes. I will sing. I will rejoice in the salvation of the Lord. So come on, let's sing. I'm going to come down here. I'm going to stand here and worship as well. And if you would like to come forward just to worship and sing and receive prayer, let's do that. We hope you've been blessed by this message. If we can pray for you or you would like to take a further step in your relationship with Jesus, we would love to connect with you. Please head to gatewaybaptist.com.au and click Get Connected to let us know.